Hey everyone, Ernest here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Just a quick note before we start the show, we recorded this interview through Zoom, and unfortunately we had some technical difficulties on our end, so our audio quality will just be a little bit low, uh, but not to worry, our wonderful guests had perfect audio quality throughout, and the conversation is so well worth it. So thank you so much for listening. Let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome to We Bought a Mic for a special Tribeca 2021 episode. I'm Ernest. I am Tribeca Hunt. And I'm just Drew, uh, official Drew, Drew of the press, uh, Drew Deason, Rolling Stone. Uh, but that's just like a description of me. It's not where mm-hmm. I work. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this episode, folks, is a special one. We had a chance to interview the filmmakers behind a little movie called Dating and New York, um, which is premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival and just got sold to IFC. Mm -hmm. So you'll get a chance to see it uh, in some way, you know, either in theaters or at home when they release it later this year. We talked to Jonah Feingold and Jerry Ferrara. Ferrara, like Ferrari. I'm 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 flubbing some names here. Uh, you'll you'll hear me uh, very embarrassingly flub both of their names. Uh, so apologies. Um, um, but it's the, a great conversation. Yeah, yeah great conversation. Nice. Really is, good movie. Like we all really really loved it a lot. Um, yeah, if I was going to pitch this person to just an average person, I'd say this is the millennial take on When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, borderline zillennial. Um, it's also just. It, Jonah, uh, the, these guys were so fucking cool. Like they, they were, they gave so us kind. They gave us so much goddamn time. We're nothing. They they rock so hard. Jonah listened to an episode of the podcast and liked it. <laughs> what? Thanks, Jonah, National you're the real treasure. MVP. Yeah, we're gonna send you Valley merch. Forge. <laughs> He's yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if if there's anyone that we're rooting for in the future, it, it's these guys. Uh, you know, they teased another collaboration in the future. I'd love that. Um, he's obviously a huge fan of rom-coms. I say all the time, I want more solid rom-coms out there. And this is one of them, man. This is a really, really solid movie. It uh, stars Jabuki Young White. Yeah, it's, it's got people up the wazoo that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Jabuki, Francesca Real, um, who's like starting to have a moment after uh, appearing in Stranger Things. Catherine yeah. Cohen. Catherine Cohen, who... Uh, I was so happy to hear Jonah agree that she is an absolute lightning rod. She's just ready to go yeah. because I've been thinking that for years. Just she monster comedian. Yeah, like, she's so funny. She, yeah, she's a fucking force. She rocks. We, I mean, just all the way up and down the list. This is a really super solid cast. Um, it's a New York movie. It it has so much love and like almost camp love for rom coms. Like it's very willing to be like this is a rom com. You're yeah. watching a rom com and you love it. Yeah, because I do. I like rom-com. You got me, Jonah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the the movie is very heartfelt. And we talked to them about a bunch of stuff. You know, the making of the the kind of journey to it. And it's Jonah's first movie. So I think that's a, a big deal, you know, to have your 
debut at a festival like Tribeca, I think is a big accomplishment. So um, we loved it. We loved talking to them. Again, they were so nice and so kind. Um, so please enjoy our conversation with uh, Jonah and Jerry from Dating in New York. to be joined by the filmmakers from Dating and New York. Uh, we are here with the writer-director, uh, Jonah Fenigold. Uh, Feingold. Jonah, there we go. We got a thumbs up on second track. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Jonah Feingold. Uh, how's it going, Jonah? Hey, happy to be here. It's going great. It's going really great. Uh, and we also have Jerry Ferrara. 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 <laughs> After the first one, I was ready for the, what you had coming. <laughs> I know. Ferrari? We're, uh, we're going to have to fire the R&D department here. <laughs> Tell yeah. the interns, yeah. Apologies for this. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, we're so glad to have you here uh, on We Bought a Mic to talk uh, about your movie and uh, enjoy the... Uh, the grandeur of uh, of the Tribeca experience at home. Um, so why don't we just go ahead and jump right into it? Um, we have a few questions lined up for you, but let's just start easy here. Let's let's talk about what it's been like to uh, have this movie um, sort of sitting, waiting uh, for people to see it. <laughs> it's been a hell of a year, and. Uh, how has it been like to kind of wait for people to finally see it? Have you been able to uh, work on it until the last minute? Or have you just been kind of uh, just waiting for it to, to be ready? Has it been done for a while? Um, really awesome question. And first off, thank you for having us here. I am I now a big fan of your show. I, I listened to the National Treasure episode. I engulfed it. I mean, that was two hours, but it looked I thought it was 20 minutes. I mean, wow. I, I could hear you guys talk about National Treasure all day. Um, I did make a National Treasure joke as we entered into the conversation today, everyone listening. So uh, it wasn't recorded. But um, <laughs> I will you know, what's funny is, and I'll let Jerry sort of talk about how him and I met, because that's kind of the impetus for how long it's taken for this film to, to come together. But um, yeah, you really touched on something that has been very difficult. I am very ADD when it comes to wanting to put work out there. And we finished the film in November of 2020. I guess 19. November, the most recent November. So, 20, oh, you well, mean finished product 20. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We shot in November, 2019. We started mm. editing and posting pandemic happened. <laughs> Fuck. Then we had to go um, post, which was editing, scoring, mixing, coloring, sound designing, um, mm -hmm. ADRing. Shout out to the New York city subway system. Um, <laughs> and uh, all, all remotely. And then we had to sit on it. And I many, many times, because the part they don't talk about in the, in the filmmaker, indie filmmaker world is festival is a year long journey and possible circuit. So you can apply to Sundance in let's say August, even earlier, you won't find out till maybe November, but then, you know, festivals like South by and Tribeca, 
Tribeca is not normally till April. Now it's in June. So you now have to wait almost an entire year to hear back from these places. Um, and to be honest, they don't really tell you until that kind of later down the line. So it becomes very difficult as a filmmaker to both sit on your baby and, um, and, uh, and, and really want to put something out there. But, uh, yeah, Jerry, I'm, I'm curious, you've seen, you've, we've had many conversations about this throughout the time we've had to wait for it to come out. Yeah. I think the, the biggest part of whatever producing elements I had here was kind of managing Jonah. Cause Jonah is very much like, he's like already, he already has shooting dates for our next movie. I'm like, we didn't even get this one out yet. Like he very much wants to put the work out there the moment it's done. And obviously we all had to deal with the craziness that's going also the festivals do a really good job of not tipping their hand you know like it's as an actor i kind of know when i'm going to get a part for the most part and i know when i'm not festivals do not tip the hand of like you got we love the movie just be patient like you just have no idea what is going through their mind what their slate's going to be but uh yeah it, it it's it, it makes me actually thankful that Jonah is the type of filmmaker that aggressively has his own shooting schedule in mind. Cause if we would have waited to shoot this movie, we would have got probably shut down like everybody else. If we would have let it kind of bleed into, you know, later in the year and even in the beginning of the year. So, uh, I'm uh, no peppers right on the edge there, right there, <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's just, it's a, it's actually a good time to celebrate hopefully things coming back to as well and now we get to put this movie out there because a lot of people worked very hard on this movie and jonah being the person in the forefront of that well congratulations on the movie i i'm sure that it has been uh, a hell of a of an arduous wait to actually get people to see the damn thing so congratulations on it on it finally arriving and and one of the things that I kept thinking about was like, this feels like very of New York and New York felt the pandemic so hard. And I, I kept finding moments where, uh, cause it, you know, it wasn't fully obvious, uh, at first in the, in the first like act or so, but as the movie kept going, it was like, there's no way they shot this in 2020. Like there is so much of this that feels like the New York that, that I remember visiting, you know, pre COVID. Uh, and, and, you know, funny enough, as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more obvious. So it does now have like this nostalgia of like the New York that we want back in. And I'm sure that we are getting back from what I hear it every day and every week. It gets closer and closer to that. Um, so we, we have a, a lot of, of, of more specific questions about the movie that we want to talk about, but. Hunter, I think, has... Uh, well, I have an important question for you, for both of you, as uh, native New Yorkers. Um, really, this is the most important question that I really wanted to ask both of you coming into this. Can you describe in one sentence your feelings on trade? Oh, man. Jonah, you, you want me to take this one yeah, first? Hefer, I think you'll have a more impassioned answer, Jerry. Uh, in one sentence only? Uh, you can go a little bit farther. One like, yeah. sentences are, are well. Yeah. And uh, I will say you are a formidable foe, Trey Young. And <laughs> I did my best to hate you, but I don't hate you. And you guys have a better team. Oh. And I'm pissed off about it, but the better team won the game. Is that what you were looking for, Hunter? You didn't expect no, no, no. You know, I some just, trash here, huh? 
I'm just here. Look, I'm a Boston boy, so I just love any kind. Why of, are you getting involved um, in this? Then I know. Well, here's know. the thing. I just love any kind of. Anytime that there's a villain of New York, when New York is good in the sports scenes, it's just better for everybody. The so Nets I'm just knocked the Celtics out in five. What are you so happy about? We all know that the Nets aren't a real. New you mean York the New Jersey team. Nets? All right, let's get back. Yeah, Jonah's <laughs> head's going to explode. He's going to with a sports reference soon. <laughs> I, I love the take though on, on Trey Young because that that's where I ended up. I like you wanna hate him because he really like playing it up in MSG, like starting game one. And uh he did it. I was shocked, honestly. Like I, I love this Knicks team. I had them making this route too. He um, he backed up all the trash talk. I was all over him for shushing the garden crowd. I'm like, well, do that, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Do that. And he did. And yeah, you got to just tip your cap sometimes. They they were the better team. And uh, yeah, good question, though. Good Great question. question. <laughs> I, to try, they kick do, off the Tribeca Film Festival. I, know, I, love it. <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on about Nick's uh, stuff and everything, but I won't. I won't get us too sidetracked. We'll do another um, pod later on that if you look like. here. I'm here for it. Knicks are, I mean, if you want to talk, I don't know if you're a Giants or a Jets guy. Listen, did you guys launch a sports pod? I'll be happy to come on there and chop. Oh, it hey, absolutely. It's in development. Right. It's we in yeah, we just for this one, we just we wanted to establish like a first take style, really like adversarial <laughs> energy yeah. up front. Hunter and Drew uh, talk about basketball every time I leave the room. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, all right, how long is he going to be gone? Let's just fit in. You, are, right you and I are the uh, same character in the friend circle. <laughs> That's exactly the way yeah. my friends are with me. I love Michael Jordan. I watched The Last Dance. Patrick Mahomes. I did have, uh, I was curious, uh, Jonah, because you mentioned it uh, top, but how did the two of you meet? I'm curious, like, this is a pretty stacked cast of characters in here. And I'm, how did you, as a first time filmmaker, come into contact with people like Jerry Ferrer? I mean, you're established, you're an entourage, you're in power, like, you are a known quantity at this point. How did you guys first connect? It's, it's a great story. Jerry, do you want me to take the first half? Yeah, for sure. So we, um, and this is a good for, I figure you guys have some, some filmmakers in your listener, in your audience. And so this is a lesson that I hope to be able to tell more people about, but I had written a script called, what are we? And it was a feature length. It was, it was like three, four years ago. And I was freaking out because I had not made a feature film yet. And I was like, Spielberg made Jaws when he was 26 or whatever it is. <laughs> and you know, we all have that moment where we're like, what are we doing with our lives? And so I wrote a script called What Are We, which was a rom-com that very contained very much the skeleton of what day in New York became. But I wrote the script and I was going to just go make it, whether I had fucking $5 or $500,000 and just shoot it in New York and black, it was going to be black and white, of course. And um, we sent the script out. The I had a casting director send the script out and like nothing really, it was not going as going to plan. And I was like, uh, like at least the script, like I finished it, whatever. Long story short, um, that gets sent out by a casting director and they're starting, it's the actors are enjoying reading and they're reaching out to me. And then I'm at my job at Buzzfeed, I believe at the time. And I get a very interesting text from my, uh, one of my best friends and roommates at the time. And also Jerry's talent agent, Jerry, do you want to take it from this part of the story? So my lovely and amazing wife, who's eight years younger than me comes home from an audition. She's an actor as well. And says, listen, 
you should read this script. Um, you can't be in it because you're too old, but you should totally read it. I'm like, thanks for that's some great way to tee it up. You're making me read something I can't be in, and you insulted me in the process. Let me have a read. So uh, honestly, I, I I read the script and I I really just thought I'm like, wow, this is like a great voice. I love the dialogue. I love rom coms and stuff. So I reached out to my agent uh, at WME. I said, hey, can you help me find this guy? Jonah Feingold, like Bree made me read a script. I think it's really good. He's a young filmmaker. And he's like, that's like my root, like was my roommate yeah. and like college best friend. Yeah. Like, are you serious? So the next day we were at the Ace Hotel. Was it the Ace Hotel? Ace Hotel, yeah. Ace Hotel in New York. And, um, you know, we just ended up having like a three hour conversation. And uh, honestly, it's been nonstop. Now my, the very same wife is kind of all the time. Like, oh, who are you on the phone with Jonah? Are you talking to Jonah again <laughs> for the 13th time today? So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the origin story. And, um, and I agree with what Jonah said, like uh, that, that script was really the bones for a lot of what you saw in dating in New York, just that voice and that dialogue. And also, you know, the love letter style to New York that it is. And, there's no, I don't think there really is a filmmaker out there who loves shooting stuff in New York more than uh, <laughs> Mr. Jim yeah, we, here. it's it's a great uh, like two-hander because we get like the love for New York and then we also get just so much love for the genre mm -hmm. in there. Like you can tell it's made with, with love and with respect for like, you know, movies passed in the canon. Um, so really for both of you, what are some of your general favorite rom-coms? If there are any you were specifically looking toward for uh, influence in this movie as well, Jonah. Yeah, the 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 are like the like five films that like actually inspired the tone for this movie. Well, obviously there's Harry Met Sally, which is the the goat of rom coms. Yeah, it, it's got this is the Nora Ephron it's, hat it's right next to my desk, and there's the actual <laughs> copy of the script in a book form. But there was other. Oh, that's amazing. There was um a movie called L.A. Story that Steve Martin's in that um, was a huge tonal reference. And a movie called Modern Romance with Albert Brooks that I fucking loved. I don't know if you guys seen that movie before. Yes, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, the ending from our movie is kind of a direct rip from that film where it's like, and then they broke up, but he does it in like, you know, texting and he does it in like a crawl. Um, and then like, I'm going to be real, like a lot of uh, like old Disney stuff, like Cinderella and 101 Dalmatians, Lady and the Tramp. And just, um, I think the, the oldest reference that we were really talking about with Jabuki and Francesca was a film called His Girl Friday, where they're sort of like, oh, yes, wow. incredible. incredible movie. Yeah, I mean, um, and the only movie that really does that snappy dialogue so beautifully, you know, in a rom-com in like a, in like a will they, won't they sort of way. Um, those were like the direct references and, but at the same time, it was like, how do we also invent something in the genre that's going to elevate it and make it feel more modern. There's nothing I hated more than watching movies where text messages come up on screen on the side. I am like so anti that because there's no emotional connection. It's just yeah. that you cannot connect. And my friend, my best friend from film school, I'm going to shout him out here, uh, a, a filmmaker named Anisha Ganti, who made a film called Searching and a film called Run. Yes. Searching. Yes. Searching oh gosh, is incredible. Yeah. We, we, yeah, we covered that. We, Absolutely. It's the perfect movie. Anish is one of my best friends and he was my peer in film school. We went, we're the same year at film school, same orientation group. And, um, I remember when that whole thing was happening for him and, uh, he advised in some capacities in early cuts on like, I was like, dude, I, I want to make these texts feel really emotionally connected to the audience. Um, 
And, and he thinks he was like, your text message scenes are better than ours. And I was like, thank you, bro. And I'll walk away now. <laughs> and so, but he, um, but that was the idea, right? It's how do you take his girl Friday, Nora Ephron and make it modern for a generation and today. And what does that sound like? And what does that look like? And I think ours is still kind of quirky, weird vibes in certain places, but in a way that is hopefully, um, endearing, you know? No, yeah, absolutely. You get like the juxtaposition with like the style of the movie because we have like more stylized moments and then we have much more naturalistic wonders, you know, between our two characters that feel so warm. It's like a millennial take on like a Noah Baumbach. <laughs> That's a good something like that. Like, that was getting well, like, Are you guys like, Francis Ha fans? Oh, of course. It's one of my favorite movies of the decade. I adore that movie. Um, yeah, that movie is, I mean, I remember seeing that in theaters and I was like, oh God, what is this? work of art this is perfect <laughs> um yeah so much new york it's the new yorkiest of new york and, and also on the france soft run when i first met with jabuki um we had margaritas and tacos and we bonded over the fact that we just want to make a movie that sort of if if a fraction of yourself feels like how you feel when you watch a movie like francis ha where you know nothing tragic is going to happen but it's still you know you're just kind of it's like caramel it's your caramel however you want to pronounce this is it just tastes good and you're just sort of eating it like it like a like a dessert that is it is a long dessert um since you um since you brought him up can we talk about jabuki real quick uh jerry do you want to talk about how it was like to to work with them i mean we we know jabuki is like the all-time greatest twitter user of all time yeah maybe yeah. genuinely the best at twitter <laughs> but it must be a completely different experience to actually like know him personally and to work with him uh you know to share a scene with him so can you talk about what what he's like what he brought to the film yeah I, that's where i really started to you know putting a movie together when you really just sit back and think about it, it as a whole it feels damn near impossible but when you kind of go step by step and just worry about the the thing that's right in front of you you could kind of go linearly right so once the script and all that's done and money parts, like once we started assembling this cast and I get, you know, ton of credit with, as far as Jabuki goes, like Jonah from day one was like, it's, it's Jabuki. It has to be. And I'm meeting with them and talking with them. Like, listen, I, I obviously knew same, know about the Twitter, uh, the, the Twitter goat that he is. And obviously I knew that he's just, you know, on fire. But uh, then when I knew it was like, okay, we'll be doing this like couple of scenes together. I knew going in, like, okay, I know he's quick. So it's the sort of thing where obviously you got the script. You better know that in and out because when he takes a left turn or a right turn and goes somewhere, you got to be able to stick with him. So I kind of, yeah, I went in obviously on point with the words because I know I always like to give uh, my director the words. <laughs> but also Jonah is very much, you know, go, if you got something, go. Like go with it. Go open it up. Like elevate everything. And that's what Jabuki always does. Like, I, I even like back in the day when entourage, I always said Kevin Dillon had this unique ability where you're reading a script and there's like a line that is the most arbitrary basic line could be like literally something as simple as like, Hey, could you pass the salt? And he delivers it in a way where, how do you make that funny? He somehow did. And Jabuki does that like times a million, like the most basic line of whatever. And he just delivers it in a way where it's like, Oh wow, that's a, that's hilarious how you said it that way. <laughs> yeah. So and it, it becomes more unique to that like character in particular, because they're like, I wanted you, obviously we could give all the credit in the world to your script and the, the sort of uh, rapport it establishes with these characters, but certain lines with uh, Jabuki in particular, I'm thinking this is 
Yeah, this is his voice on here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was I was really curious how much of their conversation dialogue between JGP and Francesca was improvised versus how much you have on the script. It's funny. We were looking, my editor and I were looking back in the script. Um, this is going to sound insane. It's actually like 98% script. And the most improv actually came from Kat Cohen. Who I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. She is, because I'm uh, very familiar with her voice via just hours of podcasts. Yeah. To her. And she, I can hear her putting Spock on lines, you know, <laughs> like this, this is Catherine Spock. Well, right it's here. once you get someone like Kat, by the way, Kat Cohen was one of those moments where we're in the modern, you know, we're at Video Village and I'm just, I'm just like, I cannot believe I have the next Tina Fey, you know, in front of us. And you get, as a director, you get so excited because you're like, I have the funniest person on the planet in front of me and I can, and she, she's so, so, so smart. And you can just like, you like, it's almost like you get a power up in a video game, you're like, wait, I have all these new tools now. What do I, what do I want to do together? And so with someone like Kat, I'm like the second I had figured out how she was talking, then we were able to have conversations like, okay, you're going to add the word vibes here. You know, you're going to, you're going to kind of make it sound like this and she trusts you and I trust her. And so, you know, that whole scene with Taylor Hill at the, at the drinks with the Aperol spritz, you know, app spritz on me, that scene, which I actually admittedly look back and I'm like, this scene goes on for a minute, but at the same time, there was a 10 minute Kat Cohen cut of that scene because <laughs> she was so fucking funny and I didn't know what to cut. I was like, selfishly, I would love to keep all this, but it does have to be a 90 minute movie. What do we do? Um, it was funny. Whenever we were watching the movie, uh, we were like very early on, we were like, man, if this is like a when Harry met Sally thing, I just want Kat Cohen to play the character. Yeah. Like yes, I did. Yeah. That's what right. she does. So, we got so, it for so bad. It was my biggest wish because she, like you said, I'm glad that you're, you're seeing this too afterwards. But she, she seems so ready to go. Like she seems like, like, Get her in everything. I think she's doing. Um, I think it's it, happening for her. By the way, I think that's sort of. She's in everything. She's coming. She's right? booking some very high level parts, to my knowledge. And I, I, the public one, I believe that is on her IMBD is, uh, is it is it a Home Alone remake or it's maybe a Honey I Shrunk the Kids? I did. I did see the the Home, Home Alone. Alone. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She's playing like. Well, I don't know if she is, but it, what it says is like Mrs. Claus. So that'll okay. be interesting to see if we give her, I'm give in. her take on I'm in. That is, I have one billion questions about that. <laughs> um, I did, I do want to say real quick, like Hunter just kind of breezed by it, but we did try to make a little bit of a, of a kind of cinematic uh, movie going experience out of your movie. We, we got here together and the three of us kind of, uh, uh, turn the lights off as much as we could and, and just zeroed in on it. Cause you know, with these, these virtual festivals, like they're, they're doing a great job. Tribeca, I think is maybe one of the best ones they've done in, in the COVID era, but it's not the same. You know, it's not the same to put it on your computer and just kind of like force yourself to, to be zeroed in on the movie. So we try to kind of create that that more like theater oh. experience as much as much as you can, you know, given the circumstances. I think it's important. Uh, I really, you know? I really appreciate. We, we want to preserve. I that. really appreciate you guys giving that the the, the respect to the film like that. That's it, awesome. It absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely. Yeah. I'll just say we don't do that for all of them. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> just, it happens very often. I did want to ask you, uh, Jonah, like because this movie has you talked about a little bit before when you were talking about the text messages and how much you hate how that's utilized yes. and things um whenever you were writing the script did you have the stylization throughout uh like kind of picture in your head as you were writing it like the watercolor paintings that are in this that are just gorgeous. absolutely gorgeous 
and then down to the costume design. Are you pointing at wall? Oh, yes, original themings on your wall right now. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm like a. I'm a film nerd. Like I want all the props from the fucking movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. I have this, yeah. The penguin sweater from my cameo scene, like in a glass box in my room. I'm trying to get one of those for like six yeah. months. I can't get one apparently. <laughs> I as soon as the movie started, and I and I noticed the the watercolors on that. It just seemed like. I, I'm sure it's been done before, but I, I can't place it. I can't think of any place that it's been done before. Did you pull that from a specific place? It seemed very unique. Um, well, you're going to love this. So the reason that there was what originally in the script, so to enter the, the script part, a lot of the style, and I, I, I would be curious, after, you know, I'll sort of give you the sort of watercolors. And then Jerry, I'm curious if as an actor reading the script, if you felt the style came across. But the way I write scripts is in the vein of, the scripts I always grew up reading, you know, the Tarantino scripts and and scripts by writer directors who are basically giving themselves instructions. And the issue is you put in so much flourish and all your different style stuff, but then your AD or your line producer is like, I don't, this is fucking useless. I need an eighth of page. I need to know what the heading is. I don't need to know what we're supposed to feel. I need to know what who's in the scene and what time of day is it? So there was a version of the script that was written with the tone. And then there was a version that was like, I call it the production draft um, where I took that all out with the watercolors and i really appreciate you guys enjoying those and perhaps you'll send me your address i'm gonna send you guys something but um oh yeah, my God. sorry jay <laughs> better be an extra <laughs> one coming this way too bro um, but um it was a really talented watercolorist named katie woodward um also known as the rambling sketcher and the reason was and it was a blessing in disguise was because um we couldn't shoot New York city B-roll because everyone was wearing masks and the opening scene was originally going to be old handwritten titles over live action footage. We tried to do live action footage. We didn't have the budget. We didn't have the, the, the resources to get non-masked footage. Um, and my production designer sent me Katie's work and I, there was a cut of the movie that opened up with like a storybook a la Pinocchio where the camera came in. I just ripped the footage from YouTube and I had my editor put it in there. So this was sort of like inspired by that. And I also was like, I just love showing you the world and the set pieces before we get there. That way you're kind of like at a, a, almost like a Broadway show where you look through the playbill. Maybe there's you see the backdrop and you're kind of like, oh, OK, we kind of know what might happen. And you're now just very curious how it's going to play out. So. I could not be happier with the way that whole thing happened. And by the way, that opening song, two and a half minute uh, song called Night Serenade, original uh, original song by our composer. Um, wow. Oh, it's a beautiful piece. He, uh, yeah, he, um, very gifted composer named Grant Fonda. And um, when I called him and said, I need you to do a two minute Disney choir style opening song, he said yes <laughs> so. it fits the vibe i think you maintain that general uh sort of visual aesthetic of the storybook the, the once upon a time with the font uh you you as soon as it starts you're in for that type of tone you know and, and it kind of it suits the 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 movie because you are in a little bit of like a heightened state throughout because it opens that way yeah and well and speaking toward that uh, Jerry, you're a really key piece of the storybook element of this. You're narrating the entire movie as well as playing a character, which, by the way, I love the choice to make him kind of a weirdo, like in the film, <laughs> yeah. even though, like, this, guy's, like, this guy's into podcasts. Yeah, which is, you know, typically <laughs> you're, uh, 
typically your narrator will be like, you know, sort of a mystic, you know, all knowing entity, but he's just kind of an odd guy who wants to hang out. We were talking, um, Jerry, did you have to have something in your podcast that you have to say yes to any podcast that invites you on because you because of your character? Yes, it's in depth. It's uh, yes, it's always in there, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so, so what's your process like for doing VO versus acting in the film? Like, how do you balance both of those? It's the same role, but it has such like different elements to it. Well. It, it was a lot of fun. And obviously we, you know, we were doing that as well, kind of remotely because we obviously had to. So, uh, you know, I was really worried about it because, you know, having done a lot of voiceover stuff and just knowing, even though you're like, you're in a sound booth alone, like it's so easy to get notes and stuff like that it really is a lot of fun. And you could actually really kind of figure stuff out there that might not have even been there unnecessarily on the page while you kind of just run it with Jonah and like get different inflections. But I do have to say the version of remote that we did, it did completely work for me, like performance wise. I never felt that like, I'm like, Oh, I don't know if we got this, you know, but uh, we had a lot of talks about, I, I remember asking Jonah a bunch of times when he's like, no, no, you're going to narrate the whole thing. I'm like, are you sure? Like, do I really have the voice for that? I don't really know if I have like the typical narrator voice of telling you everything's going to be okay. Uh, and I, I think a lot of the early takes is me just wanting to do the, I almost was like doing like a movie phone guy voice for a minute there. I was like, hello, welcome to the story. So uh, after getting a couple of those nervous takes out, I settled in, but it really was, a, if you really rip out that dialogue, which obviously was word for word, to me, and voiceover is always, a, and narration is always a tricky thing. That really was some of the, to me, some of the funny, quick, almost like if you if you didn't catch it right away, we'll make the movie rewatchable because some of the narration is really fucking, ooh, really uh, funny. Yeah, All right, yeah, good, I'm sorry, right. I don't know. I got kids, <laughs> so every time I curse, I instantly go like that. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of funny, witty dialogue written in that narration. So, uh, and then we had to play around with the, you know, how do we want to reveal it that it's me? Will people know right, right away how recognizable is the voice? And, uh, and then it break. takes a second to be introduced to you on screen, right? Yeah. I don't think I come in for on screen for quite a, quite a bit there. And then I think he's uh, act one break. I think you come in like around the act one break. They've agreed to be friends with benefits right and uh the contract's been signed yeah contract's been yes. signed the google doc has been cc it's google funny doc. we set up this interview before uh i knew who your character was and i just heard the voice i was like is he is he just a narrator like is he in the movie at all like <laughs> yeah. um but yeah that's that's really interesting that you have that i mean i one particular one of your scenes that has your character in the narration straight to the camera that comes to mind is with uh, Francesca as she's trying to walk back and forth in front of um, in front of uh, the home and everything else like that. That is just it's really funny. Really, really well, awesome. what I, what I, what I, I didn't realize, and Jonah, if you intended this, you never, you, you never told me, okay. or I forgot, or maybe it was an unintended thing. But the more I thought about it too, once I saw like the first even rough cuts of the movie, I'm like. It is like another homage to New York. Like the door guy kind of knows everything that's going on in someone's life. It's like oh, yeah. such a natural thing for him to be the now. Of course he knows everything that's going on in Jabuki's character's life. He's the door guy in his building. Like it is like a New York thing. Cause you know, co overheard conversations. That's what 
I then did the math on Masa. I'm like, oh, this is just a guy who's maybe doesn't look like he's listening, but he's hearing everything. And now he's right. talking about it to an audience. Yeah, and that, so, that uh, becomes even clearer because Francesca like <laughs> ends up using him to get information. Right. Like, where is Correct. he? And, he, he's, <laughs> and he's, he's invested. Like he cares. You know, yes. He's not just this omniscient observer. Uh, I think right. that that's what brings it a little bit more life. And, and I think uh, it, it's not your typical sort of uh, talk to the camera narrator uh, in also in the movie type of character. There is a little bit of a more of a, of a stake in how the story plays out. You know, he has an opinion on how things should go for my life. It's almost yes. like an old school theater thing, right? Right. Into the Woods is the is definitely one of the early references for, for Jerry's. The rule was, how do you use a narrator and how do you use voiceover? Does the, writer, does the narrator know more than the audience? Does he tell the audience what's happening? Does he control the story in what he thinks is going to happen? Can Jerry say something and then what actually has happened not be true? And so this is like an endless amount of questions that you have to ask yourself as a, as a, as a filmmaker on our side. And I think we, you know, we balanced it. You know, technically Jerry... You could say he knows the way it's going to end, but um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Rango. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Movie. <laughs> One of the great You films. are bringing the film references for these guys, Rogers, by the way. Damn. <laughs> Roger Deegan, that's right. Well, Rango has those narrators at the beginning where they're like, this is the story of the day. And in our case, with the whole storybook feel. But I, I think uh, Jerry and Jerry just brings a lot of heart to any role he plays. I mean, not to, not to, you know, down the line, the early plug of our next project, I'm, I'm, my goal is to make Jerry a leading romantic comedy man. And, uh, I, 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 I believe he's still saying I'm too old. Yeah. Not too old. <laughs> my wife's still saying, shame. still, you're too old. You look too old. younger than all of us. You look like the youngest one in the zoom. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's cause I know my zoom angles. That's what that's all about. Um, Real quick, though, to recap, too, Francesca in that specific scene, and I don't know when everybody will be watching the movie or if and when, but uh, she really did kind of crush the, like, I'm rolling by to see if he's around. <laughs> I don't know which direction I'm going. Like, I shout-outs to Francesca. Shout she Fran. annihilated that she, scene. Yeah. It was really, really I wanted, yeah, I wanted to circle back to casting because uh, it's it's not just the people we've discussed so far. That, like, it really feels like you've grabbed him at an incredible point uh, because Francesca is out of this world. She's carrying a lot of weight in this movie. Uh, and then on top of that, Brian Muller. Is Muller or Mueller? It's Muller. There oh, you go. okay. First, so yeah. one for three. Let's go. <laughs> um, he, he has the feel of a guy that I've seen 1,000 times before. <laughs> and yet I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb and I'm like, he's not, he's not in all my favorite movies. Like, let's get yeah. this guy out there. Um, and then on top of that, we have even just like in supporting roles are the, you know, the wrong dating partners. Both of them. We got Alice Moffat, who's playing a role he was born to play, obviously. Born so, to play. Uh, Trent Wilkinson. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get Sorry. Eva Victor, who's another Twitter MVP and just like unbelievably funny in her like two minutes scene, very memorable. And we have to shout out you, Jonah, for your scene with Mort, um, which I have to say, that scene killed me um, as a One of my myself. <laughs> uh, I don't actually know your height, uh, but I'm just assuming based on that scene that you are a short king. Um, Thank you. Yes, he's, yes. he's six one. He's a clean, I'm a clean six, six one. one. Yeah, yeah. Francesca is actually six three. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, she's she's, she's starting for the liberty, actually. Hunter, what did you say your height was on Twitter? Uh, well, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. I, I claimed that I was uh, five nine for sure. Um, <laughs> really sitting at a clean five seven, but you know, 
a fiscal five nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Perfect. Um, um, but yeah, I, I wanted to ask generally about the casting process. How involved were you? Because I can't really imagine securing uh, better people for their respective roles here. We got um, so so very lucky, and I think to the filmmakers listening, this is also an interesting lesson looking back that like when you sit down with an actor and you offer them a role uh, and an exciting scene that they have never really been offered before. Jabuki Young White wasn't getting leading straight man roles in rom-coms. Um, Francesca, who was the first person we cast because I loved her part in Stranger Things and Yes, God, Yes. And she just had an energy of like, to be honest, she just reminded me of someone that um, would have like, much like Milo's character. I, you know, she just reminded me of someone who I feel like I knew and I didn't know how I knew her, but I, I had, I had a connection. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I don't really know. Like she just, she felt like Wendy and that sounds so crazy to say, but it just kind of clicks when you know the right person for the role. Um, Jabuki felt like Milo. The second I saw some video, actually it was a scene from someone great um, on the little electric scooter. I was like, this is good person is the future of comedy and we need to cast him. And so I wrote him a letter. I wrote Francesca a letter. Um, Kat Cohen came through a couple different recommendations. And of course, easy. Um, here's a easy, easy. Yes. In terms of like, I, we want her for the role. Here's a great story for Brian. I'm with Kat Cohen at drinks and I picture the entire movie. And she's like, great. Love it. Let's talk about life. Um, count me interested. And then we're talking about her romantic life. And she's telling me about these two different guys that she's dating and I'm giving her advice. And I, we, we part ways and I get a FaceTime 30 minutes later and it's her and it's Brian. And I'm like, uh, and I know Brian from high school and I'm like, Oh my God, you're the other dude she was talking about. Long story short, He's like, what's going on with your movie? And I was like, dude, I love if you actually read for a part. He reads for a part. And I was like, oh, you're Hank. This is easy. Boom. He's cast. And so they start dating more intimately, obviously, through the process of the filmmaking, but they were already a couple. Um, and then what's interesting is when you have an indie movie that is um, in the SAG Ultra Low. So basically, uh, for those listening who don't know what that is, it is a contract wherein the SAG actors in the project um, get paid a, a, a small fee and you can't go above that. You, you just can't because of the budget. And so the, the, the contract exists to help indie movies get actors who are still in SAG. So when you're shooting and you have your date and you have the budget and it's happening, and it's also a feel-good rom-com in New York that's not like all remote. Like, it's very easy to pitch this movie. It's about dating in New York City. And I think when you're a director who is articulate and cares, like when you show that you care, I'm able to call... Arturo Castro's agents and our casting directors, shout out to Atomic Honey, Chelsea Block and Marisol. Um, they're able to present the materials and say, hey, Jerry's in this project. And, and of course, having these actors stack up builds more legitimacy. And um, you can call Arturo's agent, you can call Ava's agent, you can call Yadoye's agent, you can call Mofat's agent and say, hey, does Alex want to come play on set for four hours on the 15th. Um, he has a great role. Um, I was calling Alex. I, we were shooting the wedding scene. Spoiler alert. We were shooting the wedding scene and Alex calls me because he's coming the next day. And I'm like, hey, great to meet you. I'm a huge fan. Um, here's the character. I, I would love to have you come hang out and like, we can just have fun. And he says, yes. And that's kind of how I think you put a cool cast together. I mean, at least on the indie scale, it's just be positive, have your dates, have your have the contract set in a position where agents can't get in the way too much um, and, and care, you know? 
kind of going off of that, um, did you have a lot of uh, rehearsal time, if any? Because uh, especially with the core four players, it seems like their chemistry just comes so natural. Did that, was that serendipitous? Did you rehearse that? What, how did you get that, that these four yeah. main actors to gel so well? I think um, as one of our EPs, Mason, uh, gave me the day before we started shooting a piece of advice where he said it all comes down from the top. So the way that I show up to set, the way that Jerry shows up to set, you know, as a producer, the way that Joaquin, our, our, our producer with a capital P, shows up to set and sets the tone, really establishes it for the chemistry of, of the folks there. And um, in terms of the chemistry, like for the only true rehearsal process that existed was for Francesca, who, when she came to New York, she was smart enough and kind enough to say, Jonah, let's go through Wendy's lines and really talk about this character. Shout out to Francesca, the only actor to actually do that. And we sat down and went through every single line and we, I heard her say it out loud. And it was so fucking informative and cool. And like, that's her process. And she is such an amazing actor, like with a capital A, you know, being up against different comedians and improvists. Yeah, you might get to laugh on the day in this on set, but in the edit room, guess who had the perfect take after take? Francesca. So like, you know, and, and delivers like actual character stuff. So I would say that we didn't have much rehearsal time, but that Francesca was one who really helped me as a director learn about how to work with like a capital A actor mm -hmm. in doing that. Especially with such a tight budget, you, you got to make the most of it. Um, all right. Well, as we as we wind down here, um, I had a, a question for both of you to kind of you know zoom out and and look at at, at um, you know kind of the state of the industry right now, given the pandemic, how it has upended everything. I just wanted to get both of your takes. It's already fucking hard enough to make a movie, to to write and direct a movie, to act in a movie, to be a working actor. Like that's already a, a difficult thing. You throw in a pandemic. Do you feel like um, the, the, the process has drastically changed. Do you see any different opportunities that you've seen before, especially the, the current landscape of like streaming versus theaters? Like what's, what's your take on, on, on the state of the industry right now? Yeah. I mean, look, I, it's hard to give a fully accurate response only cause you know, I, I think it's actually still kind of being written and happening right now because you had all these things obviously things that were shooting that stopped and then resume then you had all this is even more on the tv side you had all these things getting ready to shoot that were like written ready to go and they were held up but then you have all this new stuff that was written over the course of the pandemic that's ready to get made so i don't know how it's going to shake out in the sense of you know you have a lot of guys and girls who haven't worked in over a year, you know, and mm -hmm. people like to work and need to work. And that's how the whole industry goes. So I don't know how that part's going to shake out though. The one thing I know that I think will be different and we should maybe even talk to people like, you know, you mentioned like Atomic Honey, the casting director, this is from the actor side and the filmmaker side. Like, will I ever audition for something in person again? Right. Mm. I think about that all the time. Cause I'll tell you one thing. I am terrible at self-tape auditions. The ones where you make them at home, you get your little Vimeo link and you send it out. Sure, you're, you're it, not. I don't enjoy it. I love it. But your... I am and here's why. <laughs> it's not because I'm, it's not because I, 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 I don't care. Like I don't want to do the work. 
to, I don't feel the stakes. Like I need that fear of walking yeah. into a room with three or four people. I don't know the feeling of I could bomb and fall on my face and get laughed out of the room. I need that fear. It's like the greatest cup of coffee in the world. <laughs> and when I'm at home, I'd like do two takes. I'm like, that was good. Right. We can move on. Let's move on. And next thing you know, I'm like, God, I did two half-ass takes to just get through it. You know, that's never going to get the job. That's never going to get it done. And I am still very much a, actor like you know i i get offered some cool stuff but i also have to go fight for everything i'm still having to prove myself in a way that i could be different than the two things that most people saw me in so as far as that i i think that i don't know if that ever comes back because also there is an efficiency element it is way more efficient for casting people for directors for producers to watch 18 auditions from the comfort of their own home and just bang them out with a cup of coffee while you're having lunch, then go drive to a casting office, sit in there and do all that. So that I know is going to be different on both on my side as the actor on the filmmaker side. Like, I don't know, maybe you'll be one of the filmmakers that wants to see some auditions in person. I don't know that I know is definitely going to be different maybe forever. As far as what gets made, what doesn't get made and who's fighting for what job. I, I think it's all going to be shaking out in the next couple of months as we, as we really get back to full work. Do you see any different opportunities for what you can work on in terms of like a TV show versus a movie, a streaming versus something from, from a studio? Is that sort of kind of all in the same pot? Do you try to go for something in particular? That's, I mean, the landscape was already. Yeah. Yeah, it was already shaking up. And you know what? I'll kind of end with this and then throw it to Jonah. Like the one thing that we do know is, you know, with the pandemic and everything is that like, we need as many movies and TV shows and stuff like that as we can. Like we really did dip, dip into the reserve there for a while. And yeah. we saw some of the stuff we were all watching and we went through a lot of stuff. So we definitely got to replenish the reserve, both movie TV, whatever streaming limited here, all that stuff definitely needs to be replenished after a lot of us sat home and consumed as much stuff as possible. And that's why I am grateful though, for, festivals like Tribeca that, you know, they're doing virtual, they're having some in person, like they're, you know, they're still fortunate enough to, to get some stuff going. And uh, hopefully we could do more as what do the kids say? IRL stuff <laughs> yes. next year. I'm, I'm well, People need their stories. Very, very, people need their art. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. It's a, it's a powerful thing to connect. So yeah. What's, what are things like on your side of the, of the equation? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything Jerry said. And, and I actually have an optimistic view on like, indie film in particular as a director i'm very very excited i i think we're hitting this i just saw an indie article today that said these are all the feel-good movies that are charting i think we actually kind of got fucking lucky like people want feel good happy ending stuff so that checks our box um i also think people want to support indie films i think the like I, they're not bombing by any means but like studio movies aren't really hitting like they used to and i think it's a res, there is some i don't know what the psychological element is but post pandemic and during pandemic like i'd sort of much rather know i'm supporting an indie film like a together together or something and you know on those lines then uh, you know go see one in a the theater then go see um you know, I, I don't even, I don't even know like Godzilla versus Kong, which I have not seen. Um, and don't plan on seeing it. Not that, that to discredit that art, I, I, I'm sure I'll watch it at some point, but I think indie movies, feel good movies are really 
um, in a powerful position. I also think now that we've all normalized watching stuff on our streamer, streaming devices and at home, and we've all improved our home video setup, I think that indie cinema is really just ripe for like an awesome revolution. And as of tomorrow, um, you know, we'll be able to announce where our movie's going to be living and how people will be able to see it and watch it. And I just feel like so many indie films, you can get your movie distributed now. It's, it's not as difficult. Like I know everyone says it's not difficult, but like it's really not as difficult. Profit participation at the very, you know, at the very minimal case, hopefully someone's down to say, hey, your movie's cool. We'll host it for you. We'll split the profits with you off of rentals or something to that nature. So I think it's just in a really exciting time that you can find an audience and people care. And as you said, people need the art to survive. Um, in terms of getting stuff made, I've heard I'm I'm on calls, you know, daily where people say, oh, every crew member in Atlanta is booked up. That's how busy production is. Uh, same with New York and granted that's like, you know, grips and line producers and that side of things. I'm sure that it happens as a result of the thousands of TV shows and all that stuff shooting, but that's great to hear. You know, it's exciting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's huge, especially considering where like people like grips uh, were during pandemic. We, you know, uh, being in yeah. Orlando, we have uh, plenty of uh, expats who moved to Atlanta for the work and uh, things were tough, you know, um, not it's, it's promising there. to hear, though, that it, the indie scene is, uh, from your viewpoint, booming, because that's something that we've been talking about on the podcast for the last year or so, is this kind of fear of the stratification and kind of the disappearing $10 million to $20 million film that's either you're getting $200 million for a movie or no money and um, what it was like, what it's like actually making these films. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that you are right that more and more people do have an appetite for this. I mean, believe me, I super, I already had a nice home system anyways, but like as soon as April rolled around last year, I was like, all right, we're going to buy this, like put another 10 inches on this TV and get a new nice. sound bar in here and really make this nice as possible. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time, like, because there's no other era where my mom would ever recommend to me. She just would find an indie rom-com like on Netflix or wherever. And she's done that. Like during pandemic, she's like, oh, you got to check this movie out. I'm like, you haven't seen this movie. Have you? What did she recommend? It was it was a Simon Pegg Lake Bell rom-com. Oh, one fine day. It's not one fine day. It's one, it's, it all takes place in one day. Yes, yes, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was very lovely, but that's not- It's a, excellent. That's, yeah, there, there's no, there would be no access for my mom to see that in any other time. <laughs> she's not seeking yeah. things out like that. She just stumbled upon it. I was giving recommendations to uh, my uncle who did, come down with COVID. Unfortunately, he's okay. Um, but he was obviously, you know, laid up in the house for a while. I, every time I would make a recommendation of a film or a TV show, he's like, watched it already. What else do you got? I'm like, Jesus, you like maybe saw three movies a year when I was a kid and now you're consuming everything that's out there. And yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, yeah, it's uh, hopefully good things. Going yeah. Forward. It's, it's good to hear that from like a more plugged in perspective. Because uh, we we feel sort of elements of that, but it's really easy to be pessimistic in general. Oh yeah. Um, anyway, uh, as we were, we do have. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say we do have one final question for you. Um, yes. Jonah, you already answered. Uh, you you already praised National Treasure with your love earlier, so that is not eligible. <laughs> Neither is National Treasure Two: Book of Secrets. But since the pandemic has been going on, and there have not been been as many new releases for us to cover. We have been doing a career arc series on the filmography of Nicolas Cage. 
And I want to ask both of you, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance? And also general Cage picks. Whatever yeah, just <laughs> Oh, this is good. Jerry, did you have one or I, I have one in my head. If you, if you don't if you think about it, if you, you go first though, if you want. Um, it's... What's the Charlie Kaufman one that I'm blanking on? Oh, adaptation. Adaptation. That one is obviously certainly up there. I mean, wow. listen, say what you want. I got love for Face Off. I don't care. Absolutely. Got love for Face Off. But I actually kind of like the Nicolas Cage Gone in 60 Seconds <laughs> performance. Wow. I like it. I think it saved the movie. Um, I like it. See, I like it. He's the type of actor where like, we all started with these type of like you know, prefacing our praise with like, listen, I know, but, but well, it's easy he, to go with like the Academy nominated stuff that he right. did. Right. Like, well, yeah. I, like, but, so I like to try to go outside the box. Um, I would have to say it's down the face off or gone in 60 seconds with face off. I mean, he was doing some, some crazy. Face off is a perfect movie. And you won't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I Con Air, The Rock. Like there, yeah. there's, there's yes. bangers in cool. there. It's tough. And so, yeah, I, I want to just give love to the Oscar stuff. But I think I would lean face off. Absolutely. It's, it's a great one. It's an all time. Yeah. He is. He was like handmade for that role. Also, credit for Travolta for doing a pretty solid mimic of what Nick Cage would act like in his body. It, it, <laughs> underrated movie all around. Yeah. Jonah, do you have one though? Well, I'm not going to say G-Force either because I also know I need to listen to your next episode on G-Force. On my letterbox, by the way, my I think one of my more recent reviews is of G-Force, which wow. I fucking love that movie. So. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we dissect that movie and what is happening in that movie. It is an artifact of lost time. <laughs> I am here for the fact that they spent $200 million in a CG live action hamster film. Like I want to know how it came together. It's Directed by a VFX guy. Yeah. And and produced by the Brook himself. Yeah. Well, I think he was Jerry's VFX guy. They must've been having talks on set. He's like, I got a pitch for a, 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 you know, a movie with Sam Rockwell. One thing that we uncovered about it is that this pitch came from his grandson, the director's grandson, which makes way more sense than any other idea. Um, they were, what if they were spies? <laughs> um, I so I, I we can all talk about G Force another time because I actually do have a ton of hot takes in that. But my my actually one of my favorite Nick Cage movies is a film called Family Man. Um, yeah, super solid movie. movie. Yeah, I I think that there's one scene in that movie that actually speaks to me that I have in my director's notes of like okay mimic this scene and in, in the in terms of the emotional core of it, which is when his daughter is in the room with the new version of Nick Cage. And she's like looking at him like he's an alien from space. And I'm like, this scene is from, this is like the scene from Hook where the kid is trying to, it's the inverse. It's him trying to recognize the Peter Pan as Ron Williams. So Hook is my favorite movie of all time. And um, I have to plug that in anything I ever talk about movies. But um, yeah, Family Man, Nick Cage in that movie is like, God, he's great. It's like a Scrooge. He's like basically like a Scrooge type character, right? Yeah. Yeah, he he's a fa- one character. He wakes up basically. He starts off as a hotshot, rich dude, and he wakes up one day in the version of his life where he married his high school sweetheart and they had a family. So now he's like a family guy and doesn't care about money. And he came from like the stock Goldman Sachs life. Wow! So magic. Mm-hmm. And I think Don Cheadle is the yes. magic. Yeah, the magic mystical. Taxi cab driver, I think. I actually don't know. It's he's he's the Jerry Ferrara. <laughs> yeah. He's the doorman. Say, big safe to say it's no, uh, big it's no, uh, no G-force. It's no G-force. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, 
So we have a plug for a hook. Um, <laughs> if you guys have anything else to plug, uh, plug away. Jay? Oh no! Honestly, I I, I truly don't. <laughs> we I, I had a baby six weeks ago. Well, my wife did. I was just there. I was in the room. Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Way. So I really don't have a ton going on in this very moment, but uh, all eyes are on dating in New York at this moment. Uh, I do have some fun stuff coming out coming out later this year and uh, hopeful to be yeah. starting one movie in August. And then we got maybe something in the pipeline coming. Uh, Again, that we might get moving on, right? Yeah, that that is very Jonah interesting. Jonah has a date, man. He, he has shooting dates in his calendar. I get calendar we're shooting in September. And, I told you you have to be here. He, he yeah. won't tell me what it is, but <laughs> no, we know what it is. I want to sh- I'll shout out you guys. I appreciate you guys reaching yes. out and covering the festival. I think uh, sure. in, anyone who's covering Tribeca, like it's really cool. You guys take the time to, to watch films and to, to support them. And so that's really yeah, awesome. Is. And I, I sincerely am a fan of the podcast now because after that National Treasure episode. Um, I'm in shock. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You, you guys don't even know. Valley Fort, like Maria Roosh, our DP who shot the film, she and I solely communicated in national treasure quotes. In fact, her boyfriend got her a pillow interstitched with a quote from the film as like a gift. Like, so there's um, more to- That's the real yeah. phantom thread right there. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Um, I'll shout out uh, Dane in New York, which as of tomorrow, uh, do you know when this episode will air? Uh, it'll it's... air after it releases at Tribeca. So you can say- okay. Yeah, and we will we'll obviously have, we might even include a little audio snippet saying where people can find it at that point. Yeah. Perfect. Tomorrow morning at 10.30 a.m., if all goes well, I'll send you the link to where you audience will be able to watch this film. And um, and uh, yeah, shout out to Day in New York. Shout out um, to Jerry and I's future collaboration as a rom-com star <laughs> in a film. And um, yeah, this, that, that's really it. I appreciate you guys And also, I think here. Jonah only likes working with me because I worked with John Turtletop from National Treasure. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. These are big Turtletop guys. These are big Listen, Turtletop I'm guys. A turtle, so I think that really, I think secretly Jonah just likes me because I worked with Turtletop from National Treasure. You think like a man with, or, sorry, Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, Vegas. I think that's why he close, likes me. Close to the cage. You're one, <laughs> one, one man away. I'm right oh, there, so guys. Close. It's gonna happen. It's gonna. I will be on this podcast one day talking about my Nicolas Cage movie upcoming. Uh, hey, can't wait. Well, he makes like five movies a year, so odds are in your favor. Odds are stacked in my favor. Yes. Yeah, um, guys, you you've been more than generous with your time. We're needless to say, we're big fans of this movie. Like, yes. genuinely, it's not it's not a movie. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. We're very I hope you all enjoyed that awesome conversation. Thanks again to Jonah and Jerry. Just the kindest, sweetest boys. Yeah, they're they're just with them. it, man. Like Jonah. Jerry, if you are listening, I'm sorry if I came across too harsh about the New York Knicks stuff. Hunter, I just you came in pre, hot. I had to come in hot. Pre-recording Hunter came in well, balls out talking shit. Background, Jerry, uh, his Zoom background was an empty Madison Square Garden, so I had to make a joke about how, like, are you actually filming it there? Because it's not busy these days. Yeah. And I then, had to come in. I had to, like, break the ice a little bit. I yeah. think he was a good sport about and then it. yeah and then jerry left the zoom and jonah had to like facetime him and he was crying for like an hour <laughs> and then we recorded <laughs> and uh it went well so yeah this movie it should be out later this year via ifc so please please check it out support movies like this yes it's it's, so it's low budget it's it's just it's worth rooting for 
Like this is a super solid movie. The future is bright for everyone involved, obviously. Like they, oh, I hope so. Yeah, Jonah be. himself, who, you know, like he said is in the interview, had a BuzzFeed background. Uh, and just like this feels like a breakthrough where he will get more work and he'll have he'll have more money to fuck around with too. Uh and then Jerry, like he I feel like he can do a lot. Like he he has a lot of ability. I would love to see honestly a rom com starring Jerry. That would be that would be interesting. That'd be hey, very fun. Give it to me. I'm ready for it. Yeah. He kept, kept maybe, saying he was maybe too they old. Can, maybe they can do some other genre for their their next secret project. They could do like a safty type thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just make like it just so intense. Balls to the wall thriller. <laughs> I see a horror film with <laughs> yeah. Jerry Ferrer and Jonah. Um, well, thank you for listening. Please stick around for all the other Tribeca goodies that we have for you. Lots of other interviews and conversations uh, with the filmmakers. Uh, please visit webottomike.net to listen and read all the coverage of Tribeca 2021. Um, and yeah, uh, follow us on social media, email us, donate. Thanks to all the donors for donating. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.